This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. Thank you for being with us. This show is, in my view, up front, up close, and about leadership. Elizabeth Dowdswell has a Bachelor of Science in Home Economics, a teaching certificate from the University of Saskatchewan, her Master's in Behavioral Sciences. She holds 11 honorary doctorates, is an officer of the Order of Canada, and a member of the Order of Ontario. She was Undersecretary General of the United Nations, Executive Director of the UN's Environment Program, Founding President and CEO of the Nuclear Waste Management Organization, and the president and CEO of the Council of Canadian Academies. All of this preceded by decades of work in public service. She is now the 29th Lieutenant Governor of Ontario and only the third woman in our province's history to serve as the representative of Her Majesty the Queen. The Honourable Elizabeth Dowdswell joins us now in conversation. Welcome. Thank you very much, Anne. It's lovely to be with you. So... Your Honour, such an incredible past and a fascinating career path. What led you to the Lieutenant Governor's door? That's a very good question, and I don't really have a good answer. (laughs) Uh, I have been so fortunate in my uh, career to uh, go from from position to position uh, without uh, a lot of planning. Um, These things have magically appeared on my desk, and uh, I think uh, I have been just very, very fortunate. They, they don't seem to make sense. Uh, I've worked in nuclear waste. I've worked in oil sands, climate change, the arts, um, and many other things. But um, they, um, I think it all stems from being curious. Hmm. And I know Ontarians are curious about you. What exactly is the role of Lieutenant Governor? Well, there are several parts to the role. The the most obvious is the constitutional role. It's my job to ensure there is a functioning government at all points in time. And so you'll see me reading the speech from the throne and, of course, uh, uh, being uh, around for royal assent, uh, for uh, weekly passing, uh, signing orders in council, all of that work that gets done behind the scenes but is so important in our constitutional democracy. But what I really uh, love about the job is that I stand apart from politics. In fact, I have to be very apolitical. And uh, I have a, a chance to uh, hold up a, a mirror, if it were, if you like, before uh, Ontarians to show them who they are, mm-hmm. to help them see each other, uh, and to... Uh, to really speak about the hearts and minds and souls of Ontarians. And so we do that in so many ways, by honoring people, uh, by showcasing uh, some of the wonderful things that Ontarians do, and also by providing what I would call a safe space for conversation, uh, by being able to convene people to talk about important issues, to learn about them, and uh, and to learn about each other. So what is your mandate as Vice Regal? Well, the, uh, that is the, the mandate per se. Uh, what uh, every Lieutenant Governor, however, has a chance to focus on things 
that are of interest. And uh, I didn't choose a, a specific mandate at the beginning because I wanted to listen to Ontarians first of all. And it is that role of listening, connecting, convening uh, that, uh, that led me to focusing on things like sustainability, how one connects the dots between economic prosperity, environmental stewardship, and social cohesion. And then uh, uh, the responding to what, uh, what people were interested in. And that led also to a focus on democracy, and particularly um, a real interest in local government. You know, that's the level of government that's often forgotten, and yet it's the one that's so important because it's closest to people. Let's go back in time together, shall we? We'll travel in, during a time where we're not allowed to travel at this point, but we're going back in time. Uh, you were born in Belfast, if I am correct, emigrated with your family to Canada in the late 40s. What was that experience like for you growing up in Saskatchewan, the daughter of a minister, a, a wonderfully influential mother, and a whole bunch of brothers and sisters? <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, it partly explains, obviously, who I am. Um, there, there is something about being an immigrant. Um, in my case, uh, totally uh, embracing a, a new adventure. And because my father was a clergyman, uh, we actually moved through rural Saskatchewan uh, every three or four years. And I guess that's why I've been somewhat comfortable in changing careers every three or four years. But I was so fortunate because, for two reasons. One, because my parents um, just believed so fiercely in, uh, in further education. Uh, and uh, that was a given that uh, uh, myself and all of my brothers and sisters would go on to further education. But my mother always had this view that um, you could do anything you wanted to do as long as you worked at it. And, uh, and so uh, there was never, uh, the support was always there. It didn't matter what it was you were doing, um, but um, they would be there to support that. I was the eldest of eight, so uh, uh, also I learned a lot about managing, uh, managing kids in the playground. <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> Did your parents live long enough to see your trajectory, to see all of the things that you had accomplished and still are accomplishing? Yes, they did. Um, one of the, um, uh, they were, my mother would always say, so when are you going to get a normal job? <laughs> she, she never could understand exactly what it was I was doing at what point in time. They were very proud of my work with the United Nations. Uh, that, was, uh, that was significant. My mother lived to see me uh, become uh, invested into the Order of Canada and uh, she was able to be there for that ceremony. So that was important. Um, but unfortunately, um, uh, my father died certainly before I came to this position. But they were always, as I say, very, very supportive, but very humble people, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, but very proud, absolutely. It sounds like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You are very humble as well, and very supportive of all of the people around you. I. I need to ask you this. The, the fact that you are only the third woman lieutenant governor in Ontario, is, is that, does that create pressure or is that an honor? 
No, it doesn't create pressure as a matter of fact. Um, and I have through most of my career often been the only woman in the room and uh, so that doesn't create any pressure. What it does is provide in this position a real opportunity. And it's, it's part of the reason why very early in my tenure I launched um, a, um, a project called Unfinished Business. And it was really about inspiring all Ontarians to work together toward uh, gender equality and the empowerment of women and girls, really recognizing the potential that is there, but also the important allies and supporters that men and boys can be as well. So whenever the opportunity, and that's part of the sustainability agenda as well, uh, but whenever the opportunity arises to showcase uh, and provide opportunities for women and girls, um, that certainly is very much part of my uh, approach. The pandemic has changed the way we do everything. How has it changed how you do what you do? I know that you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of engagements now in the books over the time that you've been Lieutenant Governor. That is the one-on-one, face-to-face that you do so well. That obviously can't happen right now. So how has your work life changed because of the pandemic? For me, um, you know, I, I couldn't help but think about um, what the role of a vice regal is during a time of crisis. And I think it's been particularly important to provide a sense of solidarity, a sense of continuity. Life does go on. And that's one of the reasons why I'm at my desk every day. It's because uh, it, it, it gives that perception that there is a normalcy that, uh, that is maintained. Our government remains in place. Someone is there thinking about the citizens of Ontario. Sounds to me that you really like your job. I love my job. <laughs> it's such a privilege. Uh, I mean, where else? I learn every day, and I'm just so impressed with uh, the people I meet, young people, older people. Um, just it's, I can't tell you what a, what a delight it is. We are speaking on Saturday, March the 6th, that is today. We're just a few days away from International Women's Day. As the representative of Her Majesty the Queen, what are you doing to honor and to celebrate that day? Well, you know, one of the, uh, there's a particular niche uh, that I think we can provide. Uh, we're going to actually host an event online that talks about the female aide-de-camp and volunteers who are so vital to the role of Lieutenant Governor. You know, it, almost every time you see me at, a, at an official event in public, there will always be someone in uniform. And I have some incredible women who support me in that role. They come from the military, from the police forces, uh, from uh, first responders of all kinds. And they, their backgrounds are just incredible. So I'm actually going to turn interviewer <laughs> and talk about some of these women. One of them, I'm pleased to say, is the first ever uh, women, woman uh, chief aide-de-camp uh, whom I was able to appoint uh, uh, fairly recently. And so I'm going to be able to showcase some of these just really impressive women that, uh, that many people don't get a chance to see. But I hope also that I'll be able to reflect on some of the observations about, uh, from coming from my 
what I call my COVID calls, uh, the, the, the examples of collaboration, the examples about the um, support for science and research, um, the fact that we've uncovered some real uh, distinct issues related to how interconnected we are and yet we continue to operate in silos, and perhaps most importantly, uh, the fact that those issues that are women's issues or have been considered women's issues or social issues are really so fundamentally economic issues. And so we're going to have to, for the first time in a long time perhaps, uh, consider uh, how we actually deal with issues like uh, early childhood and uh, child care, for example, if our economy is going to be fully functioning again soon. Blazing trails and breaking through glass ceilings, I thank you so much for joining us in conversation. Uh, Ontario's 29th Lieutenant Governor, Elizabeth Dowdswell, what a pleasure chatting with you. It's been my delight, and uh, I hope all of your listeners keep safe and well. We will get through this together. When we come back, a 15-year-old CEO... This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. I believe the children are our future. That's a well-known song lyric, but how about I believe the children are shaping our future? Arya Peruma, at the tender age of seven, began exploring the wild and wonderful world of coding and STEM. It quickly became her life's work, her life's passion. And just last year at 14, Arya founded Coding for Young Minds with a very big goal to make coding and STEM education inclusive and accessible for all. This Canadian teenage CEO joins us now in conversation. Welcome, Arya. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Well, fine. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, yeah. Good, good. All right, so you're a busy young lady. You're now 15 years old. Let's talk about the genesis of uh, coding for young minds. What made you think and decide to create this organization? Yeah, for sure. So from a really young age, I was always really fascinated with all scopes of uh, coding and STEM. And um, I really kind of got exposed to it and I was able to kind of discover it at a young age. So I was trying to explore it and trying to kind of hone my passion or develop a passion for it. And uh, as I was doing that, I did come across this concept of computer coding and programming languages. And at the time, this was kind of something that wasn't really introduced in schools. So I kind of had to figure out another uh, means of resources or a supplementary education I could use to learn coding and programming. Um, and as I was actually trying to come across um, all these means of supplementary resources so I could teach myself, um, there were many limiting factors to this, such as um, kind of the high cost of it or um, limited accessibility regarding this supplementary education. And this was a huge issue for me as I was trying to explore and develop passion for coding. And I know for sure that many students have the same desires to learn and passions to learn as I did, faced and still do definitely face this frequent issue of limited accessibility uh, within coding supplementary education. So what I'm essentially trying to do is kind of take my experiences and everything I've learned to give back to the community and make sure that uh, coding for young minds is 
an organization that's able to provide accessibility and inclusivity for all. And what I mean by this is, uh, like, no matter your age or no matter your background or where you come from, um, basically, Coding for Young Minds is an organization which provides free uh, supplementary education, which is really widely accessible and inclusive for all students, um, not only in my community, but uh, for students across the world, students in Canada. So you offer, among many other things, workshops for educators to try to understand the importance of STEM and motivating students, but also including it in their curriculum. Does that become an issue when you're, say, let's let's say the Ontario school curriculum is, you know, kind of set in stone, although there is some movement uh, here and there. Is it difficult to convince the powers that be that coding and, and STEM study should be a part of the curriculum? Um, so essentially, I think recently, um, end of last year, uh, there was uh, an integration into the math curriculum for uh, like a bit of coding concepts. However, this is a good start, but it wasn't, it's not, um, there's more that should be done definitely. And this is a great step in the right direction. Um, however, especially for youth, and not, this is not something that just applies to coding, but for everything in general, especially for youth, everything that you do uh, starts when you're at a young age. So passion is able to be sparked when you're young. And this is especially vital uh, for coding as well. So essentially, I think it's really important that uh, the foundation for being able to be exposed to coding and be able to get passionate about coding is set at a young age for students. And basically, that's something that I think um, is also something really important to consider as well um, for students. So STEM, an acronym for Science, Technology, Engineering, Math, Mathematics. What is it about STEM that really excites you? Um, so not only does STEM have so much applications to real life, it's basically something that uh, is used so frequently everywhere. You can see it uh, in your day-to-day -day lives. Uh, for example, computers, uh, technology, uh, even what we're using to communicate right now is essentially like the work of STEM. So um, basically STEM is, and coding as well, is basically a really, really essential skill um, for people to learn, and especially not only for those who are on a track to like a STEM career, but it's just something that's so vital to consider, especially since everything around us is so involved in uh, integrating STEM and coding into it. So I think not only you can create such cool applications and there are so many technological advancements that can be made. But there's also another aspect, uh, which I personally am very fascinated about STEM. And that's exactly why uh, one of the main reasons why I uh, am really into coding as well is basically because of the fact that it kind of gives you opportunity to create real societal impact and societal change into the world. Huh. And what I mean by this is basically there's so many applications of coding uh, that can be used to be able to create positive change. And uh, for example, I am. Um, kind of doing research right now, engaged in, I'm a researcher, so I'm engaged in right now mainly artificial intelligence and machine learning research, which is kind of the scope of STEM. And what I'm really looking into right now is um, basically DNA expression microarrays, which is something that um, you use to detect D DNA reads um, in a patient um, that are prevalent in certain cancers to enable a better understanding of cancer risks based on a patient's DNA and genes. 
So just applications, that's just one example of kind of the power of STEM and coding. So I think that's why it's really important. You know, I'm listening to you, and much of what you're saying I don't quite grasp because I'm not as educated as you are. You are 15. I'm not. (laughs) So let's try to figure out how do you bridge the gap between those who want to know and those who do know. You are in the know, many of us, and a lot of young women as well. Here is a stat from... The United Nations, according to the UN, fewer than a third of female students choose to study higher education subjects like coding, math, and engineering. So why is there this underrepresentation of girls in STEM fields? Um, So, yeah, that's a really good question. So basically, I think one of the main uh, factors that kind of conclude to this underrepresentation is because of the fact that I think that um, when it comes to STEM, I feel like, especially what I considered before, Um, everything starts at a young age. So especially from a young age, um, I think that there isn't much exposure, especially given to to girls, especially, um, when it comes to being able to learn coding in STEM. And in addition to just the exposure, uh, that's just one aspect of it. But I think another main part is the fact that um, there should be more encouragement given, especially when girls are young, to pursue STEM. And I think that's just a major thing that will definitely bridge these gaps and kind of motivate girls to be able to go into um, STEM and kind of spark that passion when they're young because everything kind of starts when you're young. So from a young age, if there isn't kind of that motivation, that inspiration around you, or maybe when you're young, uh, there isn't that role model to look up to uh, in terms of learning STEM education or learning coding, um, I think especially for girls, that's kind of where uh, that line gets split between of being able to be confident enough to pursue STEM or being able to get interested enough to pursue STEM and coding. Do you have friends your age who are as passionate about coding and about STEM as you are? Um, so, I mean, uh, I mean, all of my friends like different things. So basically, um, I think a lot uh, to maybe not a high degree of like STEM and coding passion, but you know, there's a lot of other like great stories I've seen of uh, people my age or um, people close to my age uh, that are definitely um, kind of really huge um, motivators when it comes to uh, STEM and coding education and when it comes to kind of breaking uh, kind of technological barriers and breaking discoveries. So I think that's something really cool as well that young people are able to kind of be able to break down barriers, and not just because you're young, but also I think it's great that when you're young, um, you're able to kind of break down these barriers and being able to develop and technologically advance and kind of become innovators at such a young age. So I think that's something that's really cool. You have many initiatives and you've reached out to students around the globe. You're hoping to reach an additional 50,000 students by the end of 2022. Why do you want to share this so much? Why not just keep your passion about coding and STEM to yourself and and move through your life to the point where you are uh, excelling in a particular career? Why do you want to share it with other young people around the world? Yeah, so, I mean, ever since I was little, I've always kind of had uh, this thing inside me to be able to help the community and give back. Because as I mentioned before, um, when I was younger and I was trying to explore STEM a bit more, it was very difficult for me as there was many barriers such as kind of financial barriers, which kind of really limits accessibility, especially um, considering if 
uh, the coding education is not taught in schools and you're trying to uh, find some means of supplementary education. Um, there's a lot of barriers. And kind of when I was kind of younger thinking about this, kind of thinking about if it was so difficult for me, um, how difficult it would be for others who are trying to achieve those same goals as me. So I kind of wanted to take that idea and that interest I had with coding and STEM and use that and leverage that to kind of take advantage and really bring this back to the community, take this back to the community and give back. And I think that's just a passion, that's always been a passion of mine to be able to aid the community. And I think also in addition to just being able to aid the community, I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, the young people are the foundation of the future. Young people today are what's going to make the next innovators, next creators, um, and the next, like, kind of computer scientists or STEM professionals. And I think that's just exactly what I'm trying to get at here, and I'm trying to kind of make sure I can leverage this and bring this to as many students as I possibly can um, to make this accessible and inclusive for everyone. So they can definitely get that passion at a young age and become those next great big innovators, uh, those next big creators. And many of your uh, workshops are free, and that makes it affordable as well. Let me ask you this. When you're wearing your, your Coding for Young Minds hat, uh, you're wearing your CEO hat, you're busy with all of the different endeavors right now in your life. When you take those hats off, what what do you do to just chill, to relax, to have fun as a, as a vibrant 15-year-old? Um, yeah, so I mean, I do enjoy like doing many activities, um, especially in the summer, like, you know, uh, swimming, I think reading. I think there's just a lot of uh, activities other than uh, coding that's also something that's really important as well to be like all-rounded. So I think that, you know, just simple activities like those are something that uh, kind of helps me unwind or relax. And yeah, so yeah. Yep, that's a great, great answer. International Women's Day is on March the 10th. What does it mean to you, Arya? Um, so International Women's Day means so much to me. And basically, to me personally, it's all about celebrating and being able to commemorate all the efforts that um, girls and women have made to create positive change within our communities, within our worlds, and kind of discoveries that they've made that's really being able to change the world for the future. But I think along with also um, commemorating and celebrating these achievements made by women and girls, it's also simultaneously so important uh, to reflect upon, while this is happening, the underrepresentation girls face. Um, and, you know, for me, especially in STEM fields, which is, which is what I'm trying to kind of ease out here. I'm trying to um, increase representation, especially within girls. Because definitely um, girls is like a huge demographic that is missing in uh, STEM and coding fields. So I think that being able to consider this and think of how much impact girls have made in the world, um, trying to also reflect upon uh, what we can do as a community or also what I can do as well in order to increase representation, in order to um, make this something that's accessible to all girls. You know, you are our future, and that's very comforting. Aria Peruma, you are brilliant. Thank you for opening doors, tearing down walls, and busting through glass ceilings. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is really great. It was an honor. Thank you.
Aria Peruma, 15 years old, already opening doors for other young minds. And Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dowdswell, she loves her job and is passionate about Ontarians. I'm Ann Romer. Bye for now. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.